Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of iCast Fireball, a special episode, Word of Recall. I'm Thomas, your DM slash moderator for this week's episode, and around the table we have... I'm Mickey, and I play Malamara. I'm Jacob, and I play Lance Thalen. And I'm Ned, and I play Philippe, baby. You all have been incredibly helpful, incredibly wonderful, and in sending us your fan questions, not only about this arc, this Candlekeep arc that we just finished up, but about our characters in general, some of the NPCs that we've had, and just character moments and creation that we've um, that we have been going on in the campaign in general. So we wanted to give an opportunity for you to ask these questions and um, us answer them. So I personally like these uh, Word of Recall episodes because I get to peek into the mind of my players and how they like some of the things that I'm throwing at them and how they're reacting because how I think they may be reacting and thinking about something could be entirely different. I'm going to be kind of moderating here, but Ned is actually going to be doing a very D&D thing or Fate Accelerated thing plug for our sister podcast, uh, Improv Tabletop, and he's going to be rolling to determine which section we draw our questions from we got a ton of fan questions though and so we have them split into three sections um ned what are those sections that we have section one is character specific questions those are ones directed specifically to one of us players then we have campaign moment questions which address specific moments that have happened and then we've got lonely thomas questions that is the section above this list of questions in our uh, in our google doc here i assume lonely thomas isn't due to my state of mind but <laughs> questions specifically directed towards me i hope at least Dude, I don't know what's going on in your state of mind. I'm just over here rolling a fate die every time we need a new question. If it's a minus, it'll be a Lonely Thomas question. If it's blank, it'll be a campaign moment question. And if it's a plus, it'll be a character-specific question. Don't forget about potent potables. Yes. (laughs) Well, Ned, let's jump right into it. Why don't you go ahead and do our first die roll? Booyah. That's a minus. We start out with a Thomas question. It feels so natural, doesn't it? It feels so natural <laughs> to start off with a lonely Thomas question. All right. I'll be taking the lonely Thomas questions because, you know, that'd be just awkward for Thomas to ask himself some questions. So we're going to start off with a question that we received from Demon Download. Good name. Very good name. Demon Download. Uh, and he asked, or she, they asked specifically, Thomas. How early in your planning did you know <gasps> Mud was coming back? We recently had a return of an NPC, a, I would say, cast favorite and fan favorite NPC, Mud the Cobalt. How early did you know that that was going to happen? Well, first off, I guess I should say uh, spoilers if you haven't caught up on the actual campaign <gasps> up to this point. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> But that's an excellent question. Um, Mud was always in the back of my mind, actually. Uh, Since the Caldera uh, arc, the cultist camp arc, uh, Mud was just a character. I think I mentioned this previously that I just whipped out of nowhere. Um, It was just one funny kobold I thought would 
make me laugh and uh, he just was always in the back of my mind as like a possibility of coming back, a possibility of like interacting with Filippo again because Filippo seemed to really connect with him and want to interact with him. And so I just kept thinking about, I didn't necessarily know where I was going to bring him in, but I did know the kind of arc that Mud was going to take. I knew that he was going to um, follow these kobolds that escaped the Caldera camp and um, that they were going to be in a bit of trouble. And it just made sense to me if I wanted Mud back and to actually survive, um, that they needed some external help. He needed some extra help as well. And so I kind of found that way of just justifying how he would get there while also marrying what I thought would be a really fun encounter for our players and characters to interact with. And it was. It was. Mm -hmm. I also think, I don't know if we ever mentioned this in the episodes, but it was so funny that we realized that Malamar has never interacted with Mud. And so Malamar walks into the room with with people and... (laughs) With Lance Thalen, and there's just this other cobalt other there cobalt. that we're like, yeah, he's totally fine, and it's like, he's cool. okay, <laughs> he's sure, he's chill, he's with us. He's His with force us. of personality just instantly sways Mal's heart. It's very true. All right, excellent question. Thank you, Demon Download. And if you ever create a rock band, we'll know that it was you because that is a dope name. Indeed. Next question. Which one are we looking at? That's a plus. This is going to be a character question. Woo! Well, well, well. Okay. First one comes from Mark Welds555. Mickey. When Mal threw the Demonomicon, did she think that Air 2 might punish Mal for her failure, almost betrayal? Or did she not think of the consequences figuring that Air 2 would rather have a living servant than lose both servant and book? So as a character, Mal was definitely not thinking of the consequences in any way. It was definitely a choosing her friends over this book and like screw the consequences. However, as a player, I'm working on it and balance this kind of balance between mal genuinely wanting to do good and yet also having this pact with a demon which is not generally a great thing to be doing and he obviously is wanting her to do bad or or quote-unquote evil things and so in that moment i saw a chance to make a character choice in, in shifting that balance. Because so far, killing the gith and hiding the sword and doing those things, she kind of started going toward Air 2 a little bit more. And she needed a balance to kind of shift back the other direction. Right. So that's why, as a care, as a player, I was, instead of just trying to beeline it out of there like I was working on, I was like, oh, maybe this might be a cool character choice to choose her friends over the book and then see what the consequences or what, Thomas was going to make the consequences of that be. But it didn't matter because uh, Star Platinum was right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, as the DM, was very intrigued to see how it would, how that relationship would shake out if the book was abandoned. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, it was a surprise moment for me and a, a good surprise of like, ooh, we get to explore some stuff. But then Star Platinum came in and surprised me again. It was it was all delicious episode for me. Ned was the consequence. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 
honestly, I was just like, this is a this is an artifact. Like, this is a r- <laughs> ridiculously powerful magic item. I'm not letting this out of our grip. <laughs> You're right. Um, but I do like the I do like the balance that Mickey you're trying to achieve with Malamara. I think it's very it brings some interesting uh, decisions that she's making, and I think it adds a lot of depth to her character because I feel like I mean we're we're all trying to balance uh, between good choices and bad choices at times, so it's makes her very real and very relatable. Awesome, Ned. What's our next section here? That's a minus. It's another Thomas question. Long <sighs> Thomas. Here we go. Here we go. All right, Thomas, here is a question we have coming from Lib Auntie. Lib Auntie, thank you so much for this question. It says, what was one thing, Thomas, what was one thing you wished you got to see fulfilled in the library that the library bypassed? We, again, spoilers apparently in these questions, we... Had to, had to book it out of that library pretty quick, or at least we chose to do that pretty quick to not face a possible spectral dragon. Um, but were there other things that you're like, oh, that would have been so cool, but we just never got to it? I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff in that library, and there was a, we definitely did not touch everything in that library. But going into that, when I designed these catacombs, uh, I, I knew that we wouldn't touch everything. In fact, I would have been shocked if we had. Um, and we actually got to a lot more stuff than I expected us to. I really feel like that arc of going into the underground library was very... Uh, very satisfying. I feel like there was a lot of great moments in there of um, some good exploration. Like it was a pretty good dungeon crawl um, and exploration there. Yeah, it was a really good dungeon crawl. I feel like there was a lot of elements explored role-playing wise and we got to see some really cool magic and battles um, occur in there. Yeah, so I I don't think there was anything that I was like, oh man, I wish they had gotten to this. Um, I will say the... The giant room is the one I was most excited about, and I think I've talked about this before, uh, but Storm King Giants was one of my first adventures I ran in 5th edition, uh, and so I have a really close place to my heart for anything giant-related in D&D. So that one was really fun, but yeah, everything was just uh, really satisfying to me. So, I mean, if they go back, there'll be new stuff for them, uh, because they didn't get everything, that's for sure, but no, I, I, I'm pretty pleased with how it ended. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I mean, everything, every one of our characters got a cool highlight moment. We all, we all got a book from a library. We all checked out a book, <laughs> and uh, you know, Lance Thalen got to see his sister. Malamara got to deal some dealings with Air Two, and Fleeple got his friend back. All right, Ned. Next section. That's a plus. It's a character question. All right. This one comes from Michael Sear. Michael, how you doing? It's good hearing from you, man. Uh, Ned, Fleeple has grown a lot. How much was planned and how much was spontaneous in his growth? Yeah, a lot of Fleeple has been spontaneous for the most part, uh, especially the arc that he has experienced. And looking back, I didn't necessarily give Thomas a whole lot to cement Fleeple into the world very much, aside from no, just... No, you did not. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, I gave him the fact that he was draconic in origin, which would give him a connection with the cult of the dragon. But especially as we've been going through and learning more about Mal and learning more about Lance, it's like these guys have very strong connections with the world and very strong motivations that are going to come from those connections. Whereas Fleeple was mostly just, hey, I'm a little dragon guy, and therefore I'm going to run into something that is going to connect me with the story more broadly speaking. But as far as like stuff that I knew I wanted to come into the campaign with, Fleeple, I wanted to be more of a story party binding agent, as it were. And this is something that is consistent throughout all of my characters is I can't play a character who doesn't like getting along with people. And so that's something that all of my characters I try to bring to the table with. And just the other day, actually, in another group I'm playing in, we were talking about a new campaign we're going to be starting. And one of my friends asked the question, are our characters going to be coworkers or friends? And in that moment, I had the realization, I had the realization oh, that's maybe the best way of putting it is for my characters, it's both all the time. His coworkers are always going to be his friends. And so that was mostly what I had planned for Fleeple coming into the adventure that he was going to be a good guy to get along with, that he was going to be just a gregarious character, and everything else has happened unexpectedly. I think it's also funny that that mid you had that approach and then mickey and i's approach not not exactly similar but we're like two loners who hate everybody who could bring two loners who hate everybody together that's fleeple it's been really fun to see um a lot of these things that ned has thrown at me um of like yes this is what i experienced and i just frantically write it down being like okay that wasn't in his backstory i'm, I'm jotting that down <laughs> this is what he did um the shroom cave so that i could like plant seeds because so, mal and uh uh mickey and jacob they gave me a lot um to work with with their backstories and i kind of pick and choose but ned was like I think like a paragraph, like maybe two paragraphs at most. And I was like, okay, I guess we'll just have to see how it is evolving. And I think it's been, I think it's been really satisfying to see, but also, but those little nuggets I jot down in the session, like <laughs> while he's saying it. And <laughs> so I don't forget. Yeah. And I think balance wise, as far as like characters having the spotlight, probably not the worst thing in the end, because we already knew that Fleeple was going to have a lot of story moments with the cult. And yeah, this gives the others opportunities to have the story built around them a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole story with uh, Bahamut even um, emerging just pretty naturally with a cobalt fighting against Tiamat herself. I mean, it, it's such a stark contrast to uh, Tiathar uh, in general that, of course, it would grab the attention of somebody influential and powerful if they came across it. Yeah, actually, that was one other thing I prepared. I found a draconic dictionary on the Forgotten Realms wiki and learned a lot of draconic words. Yeah. Booyah. Booyah. <laughs> Booyah. It means I agree. All right, Ned, what's our next question going to be from? It's a minus. Thomas question. Oh, oh man. It's a... <laughs> I know it's a minus, but should we should we pretend that it's a, a neutral for we a campaign We don't fudge moment? rolls here. We don't fudge rolls. <laughs> it's a minus. Now it's a blank. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, 
All right, we'll jump down to uh, the campaign moment questions here. Ember Glow Treasures, they asked us a question. I'm really curious about how the characters felt going into the keep. What did they hope to find other than the stuff in their quests? What were they nervous about? I want all the feelings here, folks. The candle keep, correct? Candle keep specifically. We're not going back to Greenest in that keep. Yeah. This candle keep. So, what were all your feelings? What were your thoughts? What were you hoping to gain? Um, I'll, I'll start it out. As my character, Lance Thalen was just like a place where almost nobody can get into. Perfect. Love it. Love that idea. Really safe. Nobody can access there. Let's do it. He was all for it because of that idea of, hey, we can be really safe here. Uh, me, the player, Jake, I love... I love library. <laughs> I love the library. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. I would I would make Ron Swanson spit at me. <laughs> I love the library. Um, it, it. I just thought it's like, oh, there's going to be so many cool connections, so many cool things we could do. There's probably so many different offshoots we can go with in different directions. I mean, and this all stems from even the past. One of the first video games I ever played was Baldur's Gate. And where do you start in Baldur's Gate? You start at the Candlekeep. You actually start in that game at Candlekeep. So that's a really cool thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the, my first experience with D&D &D and it's happening in this campaign. So I was really jazzed about that. I think for Mal and for me, uh, it was, we got to, we were on our way to Candlekeep and got to Candlekeep kind of in a central moment in Mal's backstory, especially with this Githyanki sword and was like, the sword was a huge piece of this character that I even created. So the fact that it was coming out was a lot of feelings because as a player and as a character, I wasn't sure where it was going. And so trying to like ride out those feelings and like make a good story, but also what would realistically be happening. It was just a lot of focused on the, on that aspect. And I could care less about libraries. <laughs> I just wanted to go shopping. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> that's what's cool about this library. <laughs> get some magic items. Yeah, I think this is like the first place where you could reasonably get somewhat powerful magic items because before it was just greenest and that was it. Ned, how about you? I also have a very strong affinity for libraries. In fact, before uh, the local library shut down due to pandemic-related reasons, I would stop there like every day after work to do some D&D &D prep. So... The library and D&D have very strong connections in my brain, but as far as what Fleeple was interested in, he was all like, okay, I mean, this is our job for the Harpers. We're going to find some information. We're going to stop the Cult of the Dragon. Let's find that information. That's what he was really just excited about. What Ned was excited about was fighting a ghost dragon, and that actually didn't end up happening. <laughs> but, you know, Aww. it is what it is. Oh, oh man. I, I won't belabor this point because I think we talked about it in the podcast as well. But um, the whole reason, one of the big reasons why I we went to Candlekeep, because it's not in the Adventure of Tyranny of Dragons, was uh, Wizards of the Coast released Candlekeep Mysteries. And uh, me and Ned were just so excited about this library um, to go to that um, we were like, how can we work this out? And with the guest characters that we were going to have come on, it kind of just worked out of like, we need something that can break the pace so that our guest characters are fellow actors and friends that we had. So I think it'd be fun doing like this th showy theater storybook type adventure. So it just kind of all cemented in and worked out just right at the right time. All right, Ned, go ahead and roll it. <laughs> 
But if it's a minus, it's a minus. So help hey. me. Ah. Time for some lonely Thomas. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, let's go with Clayton for Bush. Clayton for Bush asked this question. It says to the DM, it seems a lot of D and D podcasts like using mind flayers in under dark dungeon crawls. What made you decide to create Ruse Desk the Banished? Banished. The Banished. The Banished. Uh, was it a uh, or it was a bit of a cliffhanger, also what happened to him, that he just vanished, the banished vanished. And after the dragon section opened, are there any future plans with this NPC? Ooh, a lot in that question. A lot to digest. Um, I, I, so despite having um, been a DM for many, many years, I feel like there's a lot of... Um, basic D&D tropes I haven't been able to um, really flex on or been able to experiment. Um, one of them was I've never gotten to run Baby Holder. Um, another one is I've never encountered a Mind Flayer either as a player or a uh, DM. And so I, I, I would try, and, in this story, I'm trying to find ways to bring those tropes in so I could have my cake and eat it too, while at the same time, like making them interesting and having them fit in this story. So it's not just like totally abrupt. Um, I'll go ahead and share this. Uh, it, and it, it was shared by uh, the characters as they were like, um, how did Fleeple get in here? And how did that Mind Flayer get in? Um, yeah, that library has been compromised with another secret entrance into it. And so, um, uh, creatures of all sorts can populate into that and can uh, find their way into that library through whatever means. And those means weren't ever investigated by the party as they were being pe uh, chased by this spectral dragon, uh, so to speak. Um, but absolutely, a mind flayer being banished from their tribe, it just made sense them being such intelligent creatures to go um, exploring. And they are creatures of the Underdark for the most part. And so it just made sense for them to uh, be bitter with their banishment. Um, and I won't lie that Critical Role was definitely an inspiration for this type of arc, um, the beginning of their campaign one that they had. Um, that was obviously a huge, uh, for me, a huge inspiration to bring Ruse Deck the Banished. But I'd like to feel like it's slightly different motivations. Um, Ned hinted a little bit at maybe why Ruse Deck was wanted to get into the draconic section of the library. And uh, as for the last question, are there any pl future plans for this NPC? We will honestly just have to see how this, where the story takes us. I have an idea of where this character is going to go, but will our party ever encounter them? We'll have to find out. Yeah, it's interesting. We've got our player group chat that Thomas is not part of, and it's called Schemes Against DM. Um, <laughs> I almost made Thomas choke on his drink. That's wonderful. Mm, almost had a spate take. But we were talking in this, like, as we were about to get ready to leave the library, and somebody brought up the question of, should we pursue that Mind Flayer, see if maybe there's anything going on with that? And I straight up said, I want to see if Thomas has any other plans for this guy. And the other players, I am very grateful that they were like, you know, yeah, that. That sounds, that sounds all right. So if anything does happen, I will be very excited to see what it is. Uh, I did love that moment in that episode where you're all talking with Mud, talking about Tarian, and I think it was like 10 minutes. And then you're like, oh, yeah, Ruse Desk, come over here. And I'm like, Ruse Desk is gone. And you're like, ah, shoot, <laughs> dang it. Where is he? 
<laughs> oh, that was a really fun, satisfying moment. Because while you were talking, I was like, and Ruzadesk roll, and he disappears, and he slips away, and they you don't know where he is. It was really fun to be able to let Ruzadesk pursue his own ambitions there. So we'll see. We'll see if he comes back. Mm-hmm. The Banished. The Banished. All right, Ned. That's a plus. Character question. Woo! All right. So... We're going to go to another question from Mark Weld's 555. Jacob, mm. I can understand why as a player, you would want to get the story of Yellow out. It's fun to reveal the backstory you've worked so hard on, but what prompted Lance Thalen to tell Quilliam the story, seeing as how personal it is to him and how reserved and secretive he is? Yes, the story of... These are banger questions. These are They're good. way good. These are very mm-hmm. good. Um, the story of Yellow, that was interesting. I was not planning on doing that at all. I was hoping to intimidate or get some other way out of it. But when Quilliam was very, very upfront that the only two options are to tell a story or to give blood. Lance Thalen was not willing to give blood because he started revealing very personal things about everybody else. So Lance Thalen was like, heck to the no. But... Lance Thalen knew that if this guy wants a story, it probably has to be quality. I can't just tell a random little, like, you know, dinky little tale. I have to come up with something that's intriguing. And he thought of the most intriguing thing that he knows about, which is uh, Yellow, his sister. So he, and obviously in the way he tells it, he does not connect necessarily himself to it up front. It's obviously an implied thing for you know, the listener of the podcast or for, you know, us who are making the podcast, but for a quill who's stuck in a library probably won't make the connection. So he thought, again, he thought of the most creative thing he's ever seen happen. And that was something that yellow did. And that's how kind of the story unfolded. And aren't we glad that it did? Mm-hmm. Yes. it's. Um, I'm finally, I'm really glad that Jacob's backstory is finally starting to come out. There's so many like moments that we've teased for so long that it, it, it's it feels good to finally have it come out slowly. Mm-hmm. Still, still plenty in, in the back pocket, but yeah. It... Oh, absolutely, <laughs> still plenty in the back pocket for everybody, whether you know it or not. But uh, Ned, what is our next section here? That's going to be a minus. <gasps> lonely, oh my I'm Mr. Lonely. All right. For anybody who asked uh, campaign moment questions, we are terribly sorry we haven't gotten to them yet. (laughs) We will, we will. Uh, Because we're actually almost done with all of our Thomas questions. I think this is actually the last Thomas question we have. Uh, Because someone asked another Thomas question, but it was very similar to to each other. So we got one more, really, that's a very distinct one. This is from Michael Sear. Michael Sear. And it says, Thomas... What do you find juicy in a character? What helps you help them tell their story? <sighs> um, I'm assuming player character is what Michael's referring to here. What do I find juicy? As a DM, what do I find juicy about a player character? Um, I really like I really like inner conflict. Um, and I, I when I when I say conflict, it's 
a lot of people have a different idea of like what conflict is in D&D or even just tabletopping in general or in life. Um, inner conflicts, inner turmoil might be the better way to state it. Um, I think everybody here um, at the table, it, one reason why I love playing so much with Ned, Jacob, and Mickey is they come up with characters who do have a lot of inner turmoil. Fleeple, uh, ashamed of his teeth are past trying to better his situation. Lance, some of the stuff that I know about his backstory, which I'm not going to reveal here, um, and trying to move on. I mean, just at the beginning of the podcast, uh, why, who was he running from? Why was he trying to uh, be hidden, so to speak? And Mal, the obvious inner turmoil as she mentioned earlier, uh, between good and bad, of her dealing, making a deal with a demon, but trying to be a good person at the same time. And uh, I really like that inner turmoil if it drives the narrative and the story forward. I think at times inner turmoil can be paralyzing for a character and for a player in particular, but I'm grateful for everybody here at the table. They've used that inner turmoil to drive them to a decision or have a split second decision, then define some of their inner turmoil or um, shape that in a certain way. There's not many times at a D&D table where I, I really like sitting for 30 minutes while people wait to decide what to do about a specific decision or a conversation. Uh, in fact, a lot of the conversations I've had with Mal as Air 2, I don't know what she's going to react. I don't know if she's going to spit in Air 2's face or if she's going to take the knee and bow or um, what's going to happen. And I'm not sure she knew either in those moments. But her just making a choice and then allowing it to shape her character afterwards, I think is just a beautiful thing um, in storytelling. Uh, it's one reason why I gravitated to uh, improvisation um, in college and why where all we all met, because decisions are made that then have lasting consequences in the story that um, are so incredibly satisfying. Really long answer, I feel like, but I really find players who give that, and I try to do that as a player too, although I haven't had as many opportunities to be a player, but people who are willing to allow their, internalize their decisions as a character and then move the story forward, I find will always be a much more satisfying story than those who are only focused on the mechanics or only focused on one aspect or, or this or that. Well, if any of you want to see Thomas playing a character with some internal turmoil, may I say suggest Captain Chu from the Balanced Breakfast Brigade over oh on of Tabletop. Where I'm impersonating a nondescript person uh, in the real world. <laughs> Maps have keys. Yeah, nondescript. Maps have mm -hmm. keys. <laughs> Fry, you fools. Oh, um, <laughs> excellent question, though. Thank you. All right, Ned. Um, we've only got two sections left, so... Yeah, let's relegate let's minuses ahead. to campaign moment questions because yeah. those need some representation. Since, it's since a we've plus. Been getting a lot. That's a <laughs> <laughs> character question. To the characters. Hey. All right, we'll have uh, this question comes from the Wandering Bard. Excellent name. To Mickey, they are a tad behind, but how fearful is Mal of the gift Air Two gave her that the gift desire back? Is she going along with her patron out of pure fear? Or is there an actual desire to see what he can do for her? And I think part of this is answered from some of our more recent episodes, but I think there's a lot that we don't know yet about Malamora. This is a big part of her backstory for sure. To answer the first part of the question, Mal, not fearful of it because she does not understand what it is. 
And if you have read up on the Gith race, and you know what the sword is, she should be a lot more afraid than she really is. But to her, especially with a, a demonic patron boon to make her a warlock she just thinks it's it's a token of power it's a, a representation of her magic it is to help her become more powerful to then be able to live up to the boon that was promised i am a character ned gave a two paragraph answer i gave several pages of backstory to thomas including an actual like dialogue between air two and mal about the boon and what it was mm-hmm. about, what the terms are, how it, it came about, so that he could kind of see where I, what I was thinking Air 2 came from and what he was thinking about and where Mal was to be able to make that kind of pact. And I think that that will come out eventually as the story continues what that boon really was and why he chose to give the gift and all of that. But Mal is not nearly afraid of that sword as much as she really should be right and uh we've really only scratched the surface of the pact between air two and malamara and mm-hmm. i feel like we've been we've been focusing a lot on it lately but it really is just just the tip of the iceberg so to speak it's there's a lot of fun stuff that we can explore um once it starts coming up in the story mm-hmm. all right ned roll away ned it's a minus <laughs> ah, there we go that dice has been statistically interesting. Yeah, I'm worried that he as a GM is using this dice when he's. I'll swap it out for a different one. <laughs> yeah, but it goes. It goes to campaign. It goes to campaign. We said that. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So here we go. This one from Play Play Design Podcast. Will Jank Squad ever return to Greenest, and will they ever search for brick and mortar? Ooh. Ah, yes. We started in Greenest, and we will end in Greenest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all, all, the final battle. All good stories start and end the same way. Look at the movie Jurassic Park. Helicopter in the beginning, helicopter in the end. There and back again, a hobbit's tale. But seriously. Yeah, at present, I don't think Fleeple really has any need to go back to Greenest. I mean, he's pretty much just severed all ties with Bevan. It wasn't a very great relationship in the first place. <laughs> it was Greenest really was just kind of the first place that he ended up when he left the caves by the swamp. It's kind of like your first apartment that you get when you leave home. It's not a great apartment. You know that something better is going to come afterwards. Uh, I feel like uh, maybe... Lance wants to go back to find Kwab. I mean, he's another... (laughs) (laughs) Kebab. Kebab. Yeah, I feel like all of us just kind of ended up... Or to see Ardina. Ooh, yeah, there's a good reason. Lance Lance does have... I mean, he has some... There is that emotional connection that's not like, I have to go back. But at the same time, it's like, if there's... If we're traveling through the area, that'd be something that maybe would pop into Lance's mind. For Jake... Jake, I desperately want us to go back to Greenest. I feel like it's the home base. I feel like somehow we're going to inherit that keep, but that's going to be ours. <laughs> <laughs> and we rule Greenest now. Yep. Iron <laughs> Fist. You're the heroes of Greenest. Here's your keep. Anyway, but yeah, I don't know. I You know, there's always a little fond place of wherever your campaign starts to revisit it many, many levels and stories later and just see how crazy different things are. And what about brick and mortar? 
Oh gosh, why would I ever I want to play RPGs it. with Caleb Anderton? Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's a good <sighs> Seriously. point. Seriously. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would love us to interact with Brick and Mortar again. Lance Thalen? No. <laughs> yeah. Until this question had not considered like, it. Those were some weird people. <laughs> they literally disappeared. <laughs> Don't need to go looking for that. But who knows? I, I would imagine somehow maybe they'll pop back up. Man, Mickey, I'm shocked that you, like, till this moment, have not considered going to see brick and mortar, like, try to find them. Not at all. Well, they literally disappeared on us. Like, how are we supposed to find that? Like, follow the <laughs> very wisp. True. <laughs> like, very true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, logistically, I've. it was like, this is a great opportunity to bring in these people for this miniature arc. But just logistically speaking, how are we going to bring <laughs> Caleb and Heather back into the recording? <laughs> I yes. mean, I love I love both of them. They're phenomenal performers. You can hear a lot more of them on Improv Tabletop. But, you know, it's having that many people in one call for us. I, I know that plenty of people do it all the time for their podcast. Yes, but yes. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a thing. Yes, it is. Oh, but what fun. We'll see if Brick and Mortar show up in a future episode. And if uh, we can get Caleb and Heather to come back and reprise their roles. Who knows? We might even hear news in our travels of a random dwarf and minotaur. There you go. Mm. <laughs> a dwarf riding on the back of a minotaur. <laughs> or a minotaur riding on the back of a dwarf. Who knows? That's true. He's a strong dwarf. Very strong dwarf. All right, Ned. That's another minus. Hey. I switched dice. Campaign moment. There we go. All right. This one kind of goes back to the beginning. Also from Michael Sear. Um, what was character creation like? Were players left to it? If no, how much was collaborated? I'm going to let the players share their experiences. Um, any new experiences? I think we might have talked briefly about character creation previously in either like our Crunch Squad episodes. But yeah, what was it like for each of you? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure we specifically didn't want to know. Did we do party? Um, what's the word? Like party creation is what you're saying? No, like party leveling. What's the word? Party balance. Did we, we do did. party balance? We talked about it somewhat. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about it through Thomas, or at least I did. I remember I remember specifically because I was thinking about being a warlock. And I mm. was talking about it, and then Thomas was like, actually, Mickey was going to do a warlock. And so I was like, oh, then I'll be a bard. But then Ned, Ned was thinking about being a bard, and then neither of us ended up being a bard. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I was originally going to be a barbarian, and our fourth player that did not end up playing with us was going to be a bard. So that's mm -hmm. why I switched that's to warlock. Right. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. So yeah, we had we had. I think it wasn't like direct connections, like we're all talking together. But I remember like bouncing ideas off of Thomas of like, hey, what's the rest of the party that's feeling? Because right. I don't want to have you know, I, I I like the idea of balance, so I don't want to have like a bunch of you know warlocks all together. Even though that'd be a cool campaign, um, I remember doing that. Yeah, and that was part of what led to me settling on Druid was the knowledge that it is a very versatile class. I've extolled the versatility of the Druid over and over on this podcast and knowing that regardless of what my friends chose, I would be able to fit into whatever role the party needed. So one eye closed, one eye open maybe is a, bit, a, a good way of thinking about it. Like we all kind of like generally knew what we were going to do. Um, obviously relationships weren't formed beforehand, um, but... We kind of knew what was going on. I obviously talked with all of them, but yeah, that's 
kind of how character creation was established. Matt, just in writing my backstory, I literally have done it for every character. I open up the notes app in my phone and I just start typing. I kind of go through a character. Uh, I like to build on like a natural story arc. There's exposition. There's something that happens that changes the trajectory. I kind of build off that. I mentioned a little bit about my character creation process. There are a couple other things that you will often find in my characters, not always. One is some obsession with food. And <laughs> the other, uh, I read this really fun article on Bell of Lost Souls. It's a review of Dragons of Stormwreck Island in the new starter box. Mm, yeah. And they're talking about how there's some kobolds and how it introduces them to you. And I love this quote. I actually copied it into my notes app. It says, this is 2022's D&D. And the secret sauce, as it were, is weird little guys. Always has been. Just now, the weird little guys are front-loaded instead of discovered on accident. And that is, uh, that's another strong driving force in my character creation process. That's very true. Every character that Ned brings up to me in any possible campaign that we're going to be doing or one shot, he's like, so I'm thinking about doing like a, a corgi race. What do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, the Kanatar, it's a blast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Didn't you oh, run an entire campaign though. where all of the characters? So it was, it's an eight person campaign, uh, it's, which is, Oof. it's fun, but it's a lot of people. And we essentially started out in two different groups. One was all the girls in the campaign and they were kind of doing their own thing. And the other was all the guys in the campaign and they were all Kanatars. So we just called them the dog squad <laughs> and it was great. The dog squad. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so brilliant. Um, if you don't know what a canatar is, you need to go Google it. It's um, listeners, go go Google it. You you may not be disappointed. I can't guarantee it. I'll also say one more thing for for myself of this question. I also really because we were doing this and we wanted it to be high level. I did. Lance Thalen is not very much like me in real life, but I wanted to incorporate some aspect of Lance Thalen. Like, that was a part of me, so I could really try and relate and connect to the character. And I did, in Lance Thalen, constantly thinking through scenarios and constantly thinking what-ifs. I do that in my life. I do that a lot. I am constantly evaluating situations and evaluating what to say and what's the right thing to say and what's this. And it, it's part of of, of, of something that's, that's been with me. I... I, 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 I when I was younger, was diagnosed with OCD, uh, a specific type that keeps thinking of like different scenarios and how to approach it the right way. And that was something very personal for me. And I wanted to incorporate that to make the character very personal for me. Now, all the other stuff, I'm not really a, a super lonely person who's always, you know, drab and all that. I, clammy. <laughs> I like, I'm, I, I, <laughs> I hope I'm not clammy. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, that was something that, that I had never really done with a character before, was really try and find a quality for the character that I could very much connect to, to build off of that, to relate to them a lot more than usual. Wonderful. Um, as we're coming low on time here, I'm actually going to take the last three questions and um, ask them without rolling the dice, if that's all right with you, Ned. Um, Ned, this one comes from Mark Weld's 555 for you. As the lore master, 
congratulations on your promotion. Oh, way. thank you. Um, <laughs> was there anything that surprised you about any of these rooms in Candlekeep? Was there any insight that Ned had that might have benefited Fleeple during the arc? Well, there was definitely that bit with the Red Wizard of Thay, like... Mm-hmm. That deeply intrigued Ned, but was one thing that Fleeple would have just kind of been like, oh, dead dude. Oh, he he tried to cast a spell and it went wrong. Um, what was really fascinating to me and something that I really commend Thomas on with the design of this dungeon was how many disparate pieces he combined into one location. We go to one part of the dungeon and there's all this necrotic stuff. We go to another and there's giant lore there's dragon lore over here there's religious lore over here and running into mind flayers out of nowhere as well not even like part of the library itself but still bringing in that additional aspect and it really felt like this conglomeration of all of this ancient powerful stuff because you look at like the lore of giants and of dragons they're both very primally integral to how the forgotten realms works like dragons created the physical plane essentially and the giants had the Mm -hmm. Astorian empire and they ruled the world way back in the day and then that fell and there's a lot of mystery surrounding that and so bringing in all of these ancient forgotten and mysterious cultures into this library was just kind of a masterstroke for this forgotten section it was a lot of fun creating that uh, dungeon if you will um, for all of you to explore um Excellent. Okay, so that is for Ned. Now, um, I'm going to ask one from Michael Sear, and I know it's kind of directed to me, but I want to get everybody's input here live, so to speak, um, that I would normally ask off camera here or off mic. Michael Sear asks, I want to run skill challenges in my game. What makes a skill challenge fun? Mm. And so I first want to ask another question. Was the skill challenge fun for either any of you in this campaign here that we had going on. Yeah, Thomas and I had a pretty good conversation about this over text, but I want to save those thoughts for later because they're I, I just want to hear what everybody else has to say first. Loved it. Uh that's that's as you if you have listened to my subclass episode of Rogues where I'm talking to Ned, I fetching love skills. Uh, that is my jam for D&D. I, I love narrative stuff. That's probably like a, 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 a high one up there. But skill challenges are my favorite. I love finding ways to incorporate skills into things that might not necessarily be incorporated. And a skills challenge is just so bomb to find a creative way to use your skill to solve a, uh, a, a problem. So I loved it. I've never run across skill challenges and I find the idea intriguing and I really like that direction that we're kind of going to be able to use or name a skill that we want to use in lieu of what a normal check may be because I find that I think I avoid skill checks at all possible because (laughs) my I I feel like I do not max min my characters very well because Hmm. I like the mechanics of battle mechanics are my jam and so i like to find loopholes and ways to make them mesh but it's not max min and so there are things with my characters that i get very frustrated with and i'm like why can't my character just do this i just want to do this so i love the idea of being well i am proficient in this so maybe that will allow me to do 
XYZ instead. Right. Yeah, I on the other side am also very into skill challenges and the conversation that Thomas and I had, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword with how this works in the in the sense of like you could have contracted that moment into a much simpler and shorter moment of just being all like, okay, let's get an investigation check or two. Oh, you find the information. And that mm-hmm. could have given us maybe more time to interact with the dragon. So, But at the same time, it gave us this opportunity to slow down and have some really powerful character moments that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Particularly yeah. the mind, heart, uh, brawn, muscle, <laughs> strength. <I can't> <laughs> what, <laughs> strength, yes. Strength. Brawn. Yes. I, I was just more focused on being the heart of the situation, you know. You but, are um, <laughs> the heart. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, I don't think there's a hard and fast answer as to when is the best moment for a skill challenge because it can lead to those really powerful moments. It also can potentially slow down that moment. But I think what Thomas and I landed on is the best moment to introduce a still check is when the stakes are high. Like, mm. uh, Thomas, could you talk a little bit about like the behind the scenes of what would have happened if we had failed the skill check? Yeah. So, um, surprise, surprise, everybody. Those demons were trying to get out of that library and they were pretty darn close to doing so. I had given them a one hour time limit and they were going to burst through that barrier that was trapping them, um, just through their magical means, through just fear, sheer force and every failure was more time added on because I wasn't going to necessarily force you to leave without the material that you came there for. That would might, that could possibly feel unfulfilling, but I was going to make it more difficult or give you a choice of do we need or do we want to stay longer by having these demons burst through and continue to chase you. So every failure added more time, added more time, added more time, and therefore the demons was closer. However, that urgency, as Ned said, wasn't necessarily understood by the players because I kept that secret. So maybe if that information had been shared, uh, divulged, or it was a different scenario, like what if lava was rising from the ground uh, and you had to escape through a hole from the top? Um, There's a great example, I believe, of Critical Role. They're in a temple and they're in like one of the final rooms and water is rising to the surface, so they have to do a skill challenge. I, I... I could be wrong on that. It's acid, but you, the the general idea, yeah. Yes, there you go. Um, a very high intense moment of um, we have to succeed. If we fail, um, it could mean certain death for some of us or maiming. Um, so yeah, I love skill challenges as well. It's one reason why I did it, obviously, um, because they add, they give such an, a wonderful opportunity to add flavor to a seemingly quick moment. And, and it really, as Mickey said, it gives opportunity for the characters to not just be one trick ponies, but to really explore what they have going on and what else they have to offer. So my advice would be to find a high intense moment, inform everybody um, within reason what the consequences could be of their failure. And then that way the tension at the table is a little bit more palpable, which uh, could lead to a heightened enjoyment of the whole experience. Mm. Yeah, because the stakes were high. We just didn't necessarily know that they were high. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Wonderful. All right. I think we'll do our last question here. This one comes from Mark Wells 555. What was your favorite room? Is there any place that you would like to return to if you return to Candlekeep later on in your journeys? 
dude. I loved the creepy death hallway. It had nothing <laughs> to do with the mission, but it was so thematic and there was so much cool stuff in there. Like I said, that red wizard, I, Ned, would love to go back and be like, what's this guy doing? Uh, and just like find all of the books in there. There were so many books that we never got around to seeing, so many like little mm -hmm. cracks and crevices. That would be the place I'd want to go back to. I think I would also choose that room as a player. I think that there could be cool character moments with the mirror that allowed you to talk to people who'd passed on. I like, yeah. in a lot of my characters, Ned makes a lot of food-based characters and nice characters. I have a lot of mystery in my backstories. I always leave loop like holes open of, I have no idea what happened to this character. That's up to the DM. I don't know if they're alive or dead. They could come and go as they please. And so that I do have a lot of that in Mel's backstory, or not a lot of it, some of it. And so it'd be interesting to interact with that mirror and answer some of those questions or be able to reunite with people that she has lost to reveal some of that backstory. Uh, I would say for me, not the creepy death hallway. Because <laughs> of what happened to Lance Thalen in the creepy death hallway. Even though I loved I loved obviously that moment for Lance. I, I, I don't want to give that up. I, I would I, I'm glad it happened and I wanted that to happen. But I mean obviously Lance Thalen has kind of soured on that area of the library as he threw stones. I would say the stones that give us access to it. I would say for me, just as a player, what I'm most intrigued by are the places we did not explore. I'm intrigued by that uh, riverbed down below, that they had tunnels down there. Where do those go? Past the dragon room. Are there different areas there that we didn't get to look at? I am interested in mm -hmm. what are the secrets are in that place because there was there was actually an area where Ruse desk he walked past an area purposely sort of like to direct you past that room and have you not go in that room specifically so yeah, 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 yeah. so I think it's I think it's the completionist in me that's like I gotta go back I gotta see all those other rooms I didn't get to open yet well when we do go down to the lower level, Fleeple's gonna swap out, locate objects so he can find those stones and go back to the creepy death hallway. <laughs> and might not be a surprise for me, but I would go in real life just to the giant room and try to <laughs> glean maybe some knowledge from the giants, these awakened or um, dormant statues and glean their ancient knowledge, so to speak. You know, if we uh end up getting our hands on the new Big B Glory of the Giants book that just got announced today, then who knows what's going to happen in the future. I saw that and my eyes popped out of my head. I was so excited for that. Well, I think that's about does it for this week's episode of Word of Recall. To all of my players here, thank you so much for joining. It's been a really, really fun time. We've had great questions. I just want to thank everybody who submitted those questions in. Um, you 
But the true heroes of this episode, really fascinating, fun stuff for us to explore. So thank you. And uh, if you want us to answer any of your other questions, don't feel that you have to wait for a word of recall. Just shout them out to us with either a hashtag iCastFireball, shoot us an email at iCastFireball2020 at gmail.com, leave it in a review, or just uh, at us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, with the handle at iCastFireball20. Um, we love uh, hearing feedback about our podcast, so please feel free to leave us a five-star review to let us know that you like what we're doing um, and to let other people know that it's worth checking out. Um, wanted to give a quick shout-out to our sister podcast. As always, Improv Tabletop, we've done that plenty. Uh, I'll just <laughs> state here that they do a bunch of Avatar Legends campaign, and they have a wonderful campaign going on right now and a year-long backlog of fate-accelerated mini one-month campaigns that are just a delight. So go listen, give them a five-star review. Don't forget to shout them out as well. I wanted to take a quick break and shout somebody else special on this podcast who has just been introduced to iCast Fireball and has listened to all of it. They binged it all the way through. We were told by one of our very, very first fans, Callie Ann Creates. Go look her up at Instagram. She made amazing fan art of our three characters here. Um, But I want to shout out Gavin. Uh, Gavin, thank you so much for listening to all of uh, our episodes, for catching up, and let us know what you're doing, Gavin, and let us know um, uh, what you'd like to see in the podcast, and who knows, maybe it'll make its way in in a future episode. Gavin, thank you so much for listening. But everybody, that's it for us this week. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends and fellow Wacky Adventurers. But until next time, I'm Thomas, your DM, and around the table we have... Mickey, and I play Malamara. Jacob. And I play Lance Thalen. And Ned. And I play Fleeple. Let's keep that fire going, everybody. And we'll see you all next time. There was an initial episode we recorded um, where... um, Mickey, that's a dope sword. I'm sorry. I just saw that sword. (laughs) (laughs) I saw it and I was like, oh, man. Okay. Sorry. Blooper reel. some swords in the background, baby. (laughs) But, um... <laughs> <laughs>